Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. I have a special guest today. Elizabeth Heron is here. Um, and we've known each other for quite a while. We do go back some time, don't we, Dave? <laughs> yes. To, to the very beginnings of the use of Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff and project management. Um, and, and you are a project management professional by trade. But not certified as a project manager. But not certified. But but you're somebody who's been working in this space for a really long time. Yes, and you've indeed. An armload of books. It feels like it. Yes, I have seven <laughs> books that I've written over the years. Yes. Um, and the latest book is managing multiple projects: how project managers can balance priorities, manage expectations, and increase productivity, which is what we're going to talk about. But before we get into that, could you would you mind taking a minute or two to just kind of walk through? your background and kind of what led you to project management and what has kept you in this joyous profession for so long? Sure. Well, I didn't know that project management was a job until I got into American Express and I had the opportunity to be on their graduate training scheme and work in lots of different departments through that experience. And then suddenly there were people I was working with who were project managers and I went, oh, you know, they're ticking off things on lists, they are scheduling, making people, um, planning with people, leading teams, all this stuff sounds like how I've managed my job search and the spreadsheets I've created to track my own tasks. So maybe this would be a good thing to pursue. So I didn't get certified in project management, didn't do a degree or anything like that, but I felt that once I got into the workplace and I saw the job existed, that it was for me. So I quite quickly got onto the track of becoming a career project manager, pretty much straight out of university, give and take that experience at American Express. Um, and then I never looked back really. And I've stayed in it because it's variety. There's such a lot of variety and I've worked on so many different projects and I enjoy the privilege of being in a team where we have fingers in many pies and we can see the impact of our work across the whole business. So I, th I think some of the, and I don't know if this is true because I've never worked in any departments, um, any sort of functional divisions, but I imagine a role in a functional division can get quite siloed and you can't perhaps see some of the things that are happening. Whereas if you're in a project role, you get to see what's happening in marketing and legal and finance and sales and customer service and IT and all the different things because projects touch so many people, many, many departments. That was awesome. That was like the most positive, healthy explanation of this job I think I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> I always got find it's it's, bad sides. It's got well, its, its challenges. It does. I love the job. I mean, whether I'm working in traditional or agile, I love this job, and I and I struggle explaining it to people. One, explaining it to people, but two, explaining it to people in a way that doesn't come across sounding sarcastic and jaded. Mm. Um, because to me, it's the joy of the people and and trying to figure out how to work with them and and all those puzzles that you're constantly sorting through and it, it even though a lot of the practices get standardized there all these tools have to be used different ways in every situation yes um, and that's the trick isn't it i was writing something the other day actually that was that said project management is a toolkit and you just pick out the things that you want to use and sometimes the standard best practice or good practice or whatever published process fits perfectly and you use it and sometimes it doesn't. It's a poor fit and you make up something else. And it's knowing when to use the recognized 
best practice as is. I don't really like the term best practice because it implies there is only one way to do things, but you know what I mean? The, the good practice way well, that there's we There's a less than all... best practice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, the sort of standard, widely accepted, if you read a blog article about it, it will say, this is how you do it. And then there's the, but if it won't work for us, and so we need to do things slightly differently or switch our governance or be agile at this point, point but use milestones for something else. And and it's being able to tailor. And so I've always found it quite intellectually challenging to be able to put that together and make the right choices, but also just interesting to see that I'm making a difference. Yeah. Because you do projects that deliver good stuff for the organization. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. I, I want to ask about the certification. So, okay. Has that, has not having, uh, I'm assuming you don't have Prince 2 certification either, right? Oh, no, I do. Um, well, oh, you do. Um, Prince 2, when I got it, was not something you had to recertify on. Since then, you have had to recertify every three to five years. I can't remember. So I've taken, taken the exams twice, okay. but right now I, I would be lapsed. Okay. And, and so you've not had PMP. So I'm just wondering, is that, has that ever been a detriment to you? Or is, well, it, is it blocked so. you from gigs? Um, no, in the UK, we have the Association for Project Management, and I have one of their certifications, PMQ, as it uh, is now known, I think, the um, project management qualification that they have. And I'm a fellow of that professional body. So I think the way that my career path has evolved, I did an internal project management course and then the Prince 2, and that gave me enough of a grounding to then go on to get practical hands-on experience. And I think I've never worked for an employer who has valued certificates over experience. I think if I was a brand new project manager today, I might make different choices because anything that helps you get your foot in the door in a competitive marketplace would be a smart thing to do. Um, but I've never felt that not having a certification, especially sort of PMP, because I've always worked in the UK. Well, yeah. that's not true. I worked in France, but they don't really care about it either. <laughs> I think if, we, if I was in the States, it would be different again. So I think you need to think through where, where you, you are marketing. in the world okay. and what matters. And then I think the, the thing with getting the fellowship and applying for that, um, it was a huge mental tick in the box for me. I don't think my employer particularly cared, um, but I felt better because I was working with, you know, in, in healthcare, everybody talk to his product, you know, a doctor of this or a consultant of that or a professor yeah. of something or certified in supply chain management or whatever. And loads of people have got all these letters after their names. And I didn't have any, I didn't put my master's in English literature, you know. <laughs> but not. you've written seven books. <laughs> yeah, but I don't talk about those at work either. Okay. <laughs> so having the fellowship, going through the fellowship application, having to justify myself as a experienced professional project manager made me feel like I deserved it okay. if that makes sense yeah and then that gives me the the confidence to say actually I do know what I'm talking about because you know I'm working with people who've got MBAs and I, I don't have a degree level business education I feel like I know a lot of stuff and I've picked up a lot of stuff and I'd love to have the time and money to invest in doing an MBA or a doctorate but I have a family and I have a full-time job and I do all the writing yeah. books and stuff in my spare time which is not very much and I like television <laughs> you know life gets in the way doesn't it yeah so that the fellowship helped me feel like i had hit a level of professional 
yes, a professional level that validated my experience. Okay. Well, you're also someone who, um, since I've known you, has like established yourself through the different social media channels and the things that you were producing, like the content that you were creating. Um, Because I remember when all that stuff kicked off, there was not a lot of us that were doing those kind of things. No, and people come and go, don't they? So I'd yeah. say you and I have been around. Yeah, because like time. I don't hear about Josh, I don't hear about Boss. Like I know there were some other mm. people, but a lot of them have kind of they, I don't, maybe they've evolved <laughs> to better things. <laughs> they, they, they've moved on, whereas we're yeah. still stuck. Yeah, we're <laughs> just, like, running around the same loop over and over again. Um, yeah, but that's okay. Though we're good at the loop now. Um, so let's talk about the book. So what led to to this particular topic? I was disappointed that I couldn't find anything out there to help me. That was part of it. And there was also a part of it, which was I wanted to run a training program. I wanted to run a cohort of bring, bring project managers together for a six month sort of pop up cohort of study together where I would do one topic, webinar topic, training session every month. And the most popular choice seemed to be managing multiple projects. And we had lots of people sign up for it. And it, it was really interesting. And I learned a lot and people shared their stories. And I thought, yeah, there's probably more to it. So it was a course before it was a book. And okay. I ran the managing multiple projects six month experience, uh, if whatever we want to call it, that that experiment. And then I ran it as a, a live course where it taught it and okay. then um then I think we ran it as a videoed course where I just showed up to do like office hours and people had the opportunity to drop in and check in for accountability more than uh, teaching on those conversations so it kind of evolved through different different iterations and I managed to collect some stories and what I realized was people don't get taught this I don't teach this in all my other books and all the materials and all the blog articles and podcasts and all the rest of it, you, you, the prevailing approach to managing projects is here is how to do one project from the start to the end. Yeah. And that is that. And that is not my lived experience and pretty much not the lived experience of anyone that I mentor, anyone that I work with, because we're all juggling several things at least. And there wasn't anything, there wasn't a structure or a process that helped me work smarter. So I had to make it up myself. All right. And that's what I wanted to share with people through the book. So I have a couple. I want to share the two, my first two reactions to that when I saw the, the post that you had about the book. The first one was, oh my God, she's advocating for multitasking. What the hell? <laughs> and the other one was, all those people I know that work in digital agencies where the nature of the business model demands that everybody be working on seven or eight projects at once. Mm. And I remember doing that and like figuring out like, okay, if it's traditional project management, I can do 13 projects at a time, but in various degrees, like they're not all starting up at the same time. Some Mm. of them take very little, but anytime I went beyond 13, like everything would collapse. Um, But that was, my life was a lot simpler back then than than it is now. And I I guess first of the multitasking thing. So you said before we started that that's not what you're after. No. I mean, okay. multitasking has been debunked, hasn't it? I mean, it's... Debunked, but still believed in. Yeah. That's a, it's a shame. <laughs> like Santa Claus. And, you know, I'll hold my hands up and say, I've been on meetings where I've also been checking my emails. So I'm not mm-hmm. totally whiter than white when it comes to the idea of only doing not multitasking. But certainly in the book, we don't talk about that because multitasking is not the way to keep all your balls in the air. So instead we look at time management, but I've got the the section on time management looks at 
um, tools like Pomodoro, tools like um, well, take, working on a certain thing, taking a break. I wasn't allowed to use the term Pomodoro because that's a trademark. <laughs> so Is you it really? Be, yeah. Wow. <laughs> we didn't get permission to use. So they never got back to me. Uh, so I had to, Think we can't mention Pomodoro version. in the book. <laughs> so <laughs> I hope it's okay to mention it on this recording though. Um, but, you know, t doing some time, having a break, doing some time on, at work, having a break, time boxing, and basically just using your time in a smart way, trying to have meeting-free days if you can, where, where you're in charge of doing the meetings and people say, oh, when can we have a meeting? And you say, oh, whenever. Don't do that. Don't do that. Say, oh, meetings are best for me on Wednesdays and Fridays or whatever. And try and steer your meetings into one day so you've got work days where you're not back-to-back -back in meetings all the time. Little things like that to help people manage their time more effectively. But the biggest thing really is knowing what to work on in the first place because that understanding your priorities and which are the most important projects then helps you make decisions every day about where you should put your focus, where your attention needs to be, because you'll know what things need to be moving forward. And in fact, it is all part of the same thing because now I'm thinking, but that's also about milestone scheduling and having a view of, like you were saying, you've got 13 huh. projects, but they don't all kick off at the same time. They're all at different phases. So if you can visualize that, you can then say, well, June is going to be really busy because I've got two projects starting, two projects closing. This one's going through testing, which is always a nightmare when we do it with that client. And then that's going to be a really busy month. So I don't want to kick off my next project then. Yeah. I'll wait until August and then hopefully life will be a bit calmer. And that big picture view of how your work falls, what your portfolio, your personal work portfolio looks like, gives you insights into how best to use your time as well. I like that personal work portfolio. So but just to be open with the people that are listening, we were talking about like kind of how to structure the interview. And I was sort of like, let's just have a conversation. But now I have three main topics I want to talk about, <laughs> all based on what you just said. Um, Go for it. All right. So the way that you just phrased the things you said, the three topics are time, energy, and then prioritization. Mm-hmm. You were just talking about it as though you had the freedom to choose when to kick off a project or the freedom to choose when you would do something. And I think that that is a mental hurdle that a lot of people really have a hard time getting over. And even when they're over it, I think we all probably slide back on it occasionally, but acknowledging that you have choices. People walk around like they're making me work all weekend. No, they're not. They're not. I, I think it is a, a mindset change, which is another buzzword that I'm not really down with using. But um, yes, when people say, can you work on this project? And you're thinking, oh my goodness, I've already got 10 things. I don't know when I'm going to fit it in. And they, they're expecting me to make progress on it now. That's your opportunity to have a conversation with someone who says, this is the, what I've got on my to-do list. I can start this project in eight weeks because that's when this one's closing or that's when I look like I've got some time free. Um, so if you can wait that long, great. If not, I need you to tell me which of these can stop because I can't do it all. And I've made the mistake in my career of expecting my boss to just know this. And I have, a, <laughs> <laughs> because why doesn't, why doesn't he or she? And at exactly. the, time, the time I started crying down the phone to my manager yeah. was while I was working for a project sponsor who was expecting me to do stuff. And I couldn't fit it in. And I rang my boss and she answered. And then I just burst into tears and went, oh, God, I'll call you back. <laughs> it's about nine o'clock at night and I'm in a hotel somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Um, 
you know, we're doing this great big tour of the country trying to train people on this new thing. Um, and and then when I did speak to her and I pulled myself together, she said, but but why do you think that he would know what you're working on? Yeah. Doesn't everybody know my personal schedule and my to-do list? How do you not know? It's very self-centered to think like that. So having that personal portfolio and knowing what's on my list of things to do, who do I need to speak to when things get too bad? How am I going to have these conversations before I get to the point where I'm crying and totally stressed out and working all weekend? And if you've got that data, you can present that to somebody and have an intelligent conversation with them, an informed conversation that talks about, this is my time, this is my available hours, I can delegate this one to someone. I can put this one on hold. We can postpone that or we can bring this forward. You can bounce some ideas around about how to make it all work. But I, I feel that as project managers, people often fall into the habit, and I've been guilty of this, of not being empowered to be owners of our own destiny. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think part of that is the fact some people consider project management to be a bit of an admin role. And there's a lot of differences of what a project management job might look like from company to company. Um, But if we think about what we're trying to do, and if you can be a bit brave and have some conversations and just own it and be that leader of yourself, lead your own work as well as other people's work. And just what's the worst thing that could happen if you say, which of these do you want me to drop? And they say, oh no, they're all important. The worst is you're in no worse situation than you were before. You've now got a complete nightmare and that tells you a lot about (laughs) the ability of the organisation to set strategy and how good your boss is at listening and how much they're going to look out for you. And the fact that you probably want to be updating your resume (laughs) because maybe that's not the kind of company that you want to stay with if they don't treat you nicely. I think it's, I I agree with everything you're saying and I think there's a little bit more to it like what i've evolved into thinking of it as is if i'm truly being a good steward of the company i work for if i'm being responsible i'm gonna say i can't i do not have the bandwidth because to take that on now i understand the pressure you're putting on me but it means i'm gonna do a crap job at everything i'm doing Mm. and having the courage to to say that is takes a a lot. I mean, you've written a book on imposter syndrome. I'm imagining there was a point in your career where you did not feel you had the agency to say, I can't. Yeah, absolutely. Because you think, and I think actually it's it's coming with being older. It's coming yeah. with having children. And, and having made the wrong decision about what and, to say to that over and over again. Exactly. And just being tired of it all. You know, I don't want to feel, I was going to swear there. No, you know what? <laughs> you, you know can. what I mean? Go ahead. I was about to a minute ago too, but I was trying to be polite, but I'm not going to do that anymore. We're now open to swearing. Okay, Joe, turn off the turn off the recording if your kids are in the room. <laughs> no, I don't want to give a crap about work anymore. I, I want to go into work, do a good job. I don't want to deal with all of the rubbish politics. I want to be respected for the contribution that I bring. And I, I want to earn a good salary. You know, I'm good at what I do. I'm proud of what I achieve. And I'm tired of all the stuff that as a younger woman I put up with Um, so that's a little bit of hindsight in there but I think if I had the same attitude that I have now 15 years ago I don't know if I would have made any different choices but I I think I might have been happier a little bit and I might have felt a little bit more empowered but I've always had very good leaders who've listened and I've always worked in organizations which don't feel dysfunctional so while there's always been challenges and 
and there's always been difficult people to work with and difficult stakeholders and difficult situations that those stakeholders find themselves in. And it's not, you know, it's not been a bed of roses my whole life, but I've, I talk to people and I mentor people who are in really awkward situations where they are just dumped on from up high and expected to cope. And the survey, I did a survey of, I don't know, over 200 people for the book. And some of the stories are heartbreaking, just project managers trying to hold it all together because they are the kind of person who wants to do a good job for their company and wants to deliver a quality project for their client. And they're basically set up to fail with leadership that doesn't care, won't make decisions, isn't giving them the right tools. And and I I think it's sad. I actually think there's a bit of a crisis in project management. We're going to lose some really good people in the next five to 10 years because organizations don't do strategic execution well. Well, I think it also, it draws um, certain types of people, people from often dysfunctional backgrounds. Like I I would fulfill the role of a placator. So I just going to take all of it, you know, and I'll, I'll make it work somehow. And I'm the one that bears the cost of it. And I'm the one that suffers and I'm the one that feels like I can't do my job. Well, it's never good enough. I just have to work harder. I have to work harder. And maybe I'm wondering if maybe it's an age thing, but as a younger person, I felt like it was about volume. I'll do everything I can and some of it will work. Um, Whereas now I'd rather be more precise. I think also as a younger person, I wanted to make a good impression. And yeah. um, I, my career was in other people's hands because I remember trying to get promoted and going through the career family, the job family for project managers, thinking I can do all the stuff at the next level up and having that conversation with my boss and him coming up with some completely tenuous reasons, which is I took away as you're not old enough and you haven't worked here long enough. Whereas I could evidence that I ticked all the boxes and feeling frustrated by that so you know I got there eventually but could I have done it faster could I have done it differently um I'm not sure but I think also getting older and having an exit strategy helped me care less (laughs) this is really bad isn't it if any of my previous employers are listening (laughs) I do very much care about my job but I think that like you're saying you take it all on and when you know that you can walk because you can find another job because you've built up a professional reputation because you are um you've got the skills yeah to find yourself another role and you don't want to tolerate where you are anymore an exit strategy is basically money in the bank to take three months out if you need to while you look for another job and as soon as I had that in place um, I remember walking to work today actually when I lived in London I walked to the tube station and thinking oh my goodness I've got the most horrible day with the most difficult project and I've got to navigate all of this politics and it's just blah. but if I want to quit I don't have to come back tomorrow and I kind of there was a really difficult time we were doing a gigantic project and while it, the team was lovely most of the time <laughs> and we we did some amazing things we also had some really tough days and during a particularly tough time I remember that going into work thinking, I don't have to come back tomorrow because I have my three months money in the bank. And if wow. I need to leave, I, I can just quit today. <laughs> and it never got that bad. It never, ever got that bad. But the safety net of knowing that I could, if I wanted to, help me get through the difficult time. Does that make sense? Or does that it, make me it just does. Like a control it's it's not something I've ever had, but I, I can see <laughs> where that, that freedom of choice would be, would be really powerful. I think if I'd had that, there'd been plenty of times I would have just walked. <laughs> um, gone like back to being a barista or something, but 
Uh, my what? old boss used to say, if you want to be in control, but get a bucket and a ladder and be a be a um, window cleaner. But you're <laughs> not in control there either. There's somebody who's telling you what windows to clean. I suppose. Um, what about, so how, what advice would you give to someone who is like fresh out of school now? Because when you're in school, you really don't have the agency to say like, I can't do that right now. Like they're just dumping exactly. work on you. And you're taught that you can't really protect your time. I mean, that's something that like a muscle that I'm still learning to operate, but what would you say to somebody who's just getting started in terms of protecting the time that you need, not just to do the work well, but to have your life be an okay place to be? I think boundaries are really important and setting what are your values? What are you not going to compromise on? And then finding an organization that will let you respect that. Uh, but I agree, if people are inviting you to meetings because you are the least important person in the room and you you do meetings at times that... Uh, I, I've had a meeting in the last three or four months. I have had a regular meeting where I'm the least important person in the room and it runs into time that I don't work. And I've had to arrange childcare because I work part-time to pick up my kids from school because more important people have invited me to a meeting and will not move it. Or, or I don't feel like I can ask it to be moved. Yeah. So I'm perf- you know, I can say all this stuff about let's have agency and let's be brave and do that. And yet I still rearrange my diary once a month to yeah. accommodate <laughs> this awkward meeting that finishes too late. But there we go. Um, but so but I, now I know, you're doing it knowing that you're doing it. I think that's a big difference. Yes. Yeah, I'm doing it and knowing... Like the, this the is completely screwed. I shouldn't be doing this, but... Here I go. But needs must, and there we yeah. go. And there are plenty of other flexibilities built into the, the role that means that, you know, I, I don't feel bad about it, really. Um, but that's the thing, is if you start to feel bad about it because you feel like your boss is taking liberties or there's project team meetings booked at every hour or you're back-to-back and then you can't do any work till 5.30, that's worrying and that's a big red flag. So it's fine to make a compromise once a month if that's the thing to do for the good of the organisation and, and it's the most appropriate use of your time but if those compromises seem to fall every day then it's a case of looking at your diary what can you block and I think actually hybrid working and the remote tools that we have available to us now help do that because I don't know if you use Microsoft Teams but mine pops up every day with a would you like to block focus time here's a here's how many documents you worked on out of your normal working hours (laughs) (laughs) okay thanks really yeah so it's it's highlighting to people that being in charge of your time. <laughs> You're is... emotionally unsound. <laughs> I, I don't really like how it stalks me, to be honest, how it knows what I'm working on. It's probably sending secret reports back about how I'm using my time, but it's it, you're prompted to, and I think there's more of an understanding that actually we have a life and we you have to be in charge of that. And I th- what's the worst that could happen? Some, you say, oh, I'm sorry, I've, um, I, I need to finish at five o'clock on that day, so I can't take this meeting that runs till 5.30. What's the, the worst that could happen is they say, um, we can't move it. They might say, oh, that's fine, we'll move it. And often, in my experience, most people are accommodating and generous. Or you just say, well, I'll have to leave at five. And you get up and you walk out. Because what... It, you know, it depends what you're going to. If you're just going down the pub for some drinks with your mates, then I wouldn't do that. But if there's some kind of, you know, critical reason why you have to leave at a certain time, I I don't think we're paid to, I don't know. I'm sounding really moaning well, now, aren't no, I? No, I, I, the way I've started to, this is going to sound kind of morbid, but one of the ways that I talk myself through it is like, okay, when I'm on my deathbed, am I really going to be sitting here thinking, man, I really wish I'd read more statements of work. 
Exactly. Or have, have I really wish I'd spent more time with my daughter. Yeah. Is it that? Is it 4,000 weeks that we yeah, have? Yeah. I just yes. finished that book and that book is freaking amazing. I am scared to read Love it. That. Oh, it's so good. It's full yeah. of tons of really insightful stuff and along this, these same lines too. But I think it kind of points back to the idea that it's your time. You choose how you're going to use it. And that's one of the great things about project management. I read um, one of the HBR working parent series is about how do you get it all done and the you don't <laughs> you, yeah but the, there's there are good tips in there around setting your values and then making sure that you fill your diary aligned to that so if you want time off for sports day you put that in your diary first and then you work your hours around it which is great but that shows the privilege of someone who has an office job who has the ability to do that they're not yeah. a barista because you know, if we were working as a supermarket shelf stacker or a baker or something like that, you can't just go. Oh, I don't fancy getting up at three a.m. in the morning to bake croissants yeah. today. I'll be because, in at nine. Yeah, <laughs> no. So there are certain jobs that don't allow you that privilege, and project management is not one. So I feel that we have quite a lot of agency over our calendars and schedules and how we spend our time, but we don't always take it because we don't want to be awkward. We don't want anyone to think that we're not pulling our weight, and we don't feel and entitled to it. I think a lot of the time. Mm, yeah. So I think if it makes some small steps. So if you're worried about it and you're just out of school and you're worried about how do you protect your time in your diary, block out lunch every day. So 12 to 1, just block it in your diary and put DNB for do not book. And, and then um, I would block out half a day to do work. And that's another thing I, I put in the book about make the time to do the work. And if that means booking a meeting with yourself so that you've actually got time once once a week to reflect on what is happening next week so that you can be on top of your schedule. Once a month, put some time in to do a one month or a two week look ahead. What's happening in the next two weeks that might, you know, throw my project under the bus? What can I stop? Who do I need to check is going to be available in a month's time because we need them. If you can put that reflection time in your diary as well, that is good. And then if you don't need it, you can delete it. But having just a regular cadence of checking yeah. in with your own schedule will help you. Because one of the worst things, one of the worst things that used to happen to me is it'd be suddenly, it'd be a brand new week and I'd look in my diary and be like, oh, it's Monday. What am I doing this week? Oh, crumbs. It's a steering group tomorrow <laughs> and I haven't prepped anything. I haven't sent out any agendas. So I don't do that anymore. I know when the meeting's coming up and a week before, I'll put time in my diary to write agenda, socialize the ideas, prepare the reports, blah, blah, blah. And then I've got the time. So I'm looking, blocking out the time because I know it's coming. Okay. So the partner topic for this one for me is energy. Mm -hmm. um, we all have kind of peaks and dips throughout the course of the day. The Daniel Pink book one is a really good explanation of that for anybody who's looking for it. Um, but that is something that took me a long time to understand about myself and a long time to find a way to get my life to be built around that. Like I am somebody who I like to go to bed at like three o'clock in the morning. Um, I don't like to be on calls before 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. And usually 2.30 to 4 o'clock is like zombie time. Like I need mm. like a 15, I mean, thank God for the pandemic. <laughs> I need <laughs> that nap in the middle of the afternoon to, so that I can keep going and work late into the evening. But um, how I'm curious to hear about how you manage your energy throughout the course of the day, especially because you have kids that probably still need have needs from you because they're young. Um, yes. And you've got work and your marriage and all the other stuff. Like, how do you balance your energy level throughout the day? That's an interesting question because it's different now to how it used to be. I used to be able to work really late in the evening and I'd still be churning out stuff at, at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. And it would 
be you know reasonable quality stuff or yeah. I'd be in a hotel because I've been traveling with work and still doing emails at midnight and then get up at seven o'clock the next morning and do it all again I can't do that with kids and now I try not to work after eight o'clock in the evening I now I've shifted the other way and if I can get up at six and get into the office I can do two clear two clear hours before eight okay then that's that's good that and your is office is at good. home correct oh yes okay. yeah I haven't where I am, I mean, yes, I have an office with colleagues and I can go into the office, um, but we're all remote working still. Okay. So I can work from home. Now, are you a person that's better like interacting with others in the morning or the afternoon or like what's your, what part of the day are you like focused and just leave me alone and I'm going to crank it out? Um, what part of the day is that for you? Um, I would like to do the difficult stuff in the morning and then have conversations in the afternoon because similar to you, the post-lunch slump is kind of hard. Yeah. And if it's a conversation or something energizing, then I would rather do that. But if it's a bigger meeting, like I'm facilitating a lessons learned meeting for a colleague or I'm running a stakeholder engagement workshop or something that involves a lot of brain power, I'd rather do that in the morning. But it's interesting that you say it's a daily schedule because, well, as a woman, it's not. There are certain mon- months, certain days of the month certain weeks of the month where I would try not to have any meetings at yeah. all <laughs> yeah. oh we might uh, have some angry exchanges sure <laughs> so it is it's just but it all, all is knowing what works best for you and I think like to me um there's a part of me that feels like oh my gosh that's so ridiculous and selfish but the other thing is like if I'm going to show up the way that I need to show up for people and be the version of me that I want to be when I'm with them I'm not like, I'm not going to book a podcast for two 30 in the afternoon. Cause it's mm. not, I'm going to be crap at two 30 in the afternoon. Um, I mean, people could argue that I'm crap all day long, but I I'm less crap earlier in the day than at two 30 mm-hmm. in the afternoon. Um, and it, I, I guess there's an element of me that feels like it's the most respectful thing I can do to somebody is to say like, you know, what? I'm, I'm not going to do that with you then. Cause I won't be able to really be there. Yes. And I think those kind of conversations, it depends who you're having them with and how you think they're going to go down. Because I wouldn't say to a client, oh, no, I can't come to your meeting because I might not I need be present because I need a nap. <laughs> or, I won't have had a coffee after lunch yet, so I can't organize my meeting for 1.30. Yeah. I wouldn't say that to a client. If they want me to be there, I'll be there. It's fine. You know, and I'll sort my life out to make it possible. But so, but there are colleagues that you get on well with and there are weekly team meetings that you have on a weekly basis. And one of the things that happened to me when I was working part-time in a different organisation was that I didn't work on Fridays. I took over a new project and the uh, one of the key stakeholders said, we have our project team meetings on a Friday. And I said, well, I, I remember talking to you about this before. Yeah. Mm. And she went, oh, I'll see if I can change it five minutes later. Oh, that's how it felt to me. Uh, no, we can't change it. Okay, so I spent a long time dialing into meetings on my day off and I felt better. I mean, I'm over it now because life's too short to hold that kind but of But you're grudge. stealing that time from yourself. That's the yes. thing. You're paying that cost, not them. Yes. And I, you know, I worked it. So I took the equivalent 40 minutes or whatever it was out of my schedule during the rest of the it's week. not the same so, though. But <laughs> no, it's not the same because... Ultimately, we're paid to do a job. We're not paid by the hour. So yeah. that's another good and bad thing about project management is that you do the work that you need to do to get the job done. And if that means working a little bit longer on some days, 
so be it. That's yeah. that's the nature of the work, isn't it? So this whole clock watching thing doesn't really appeal to me either. But it is it's a big balance between clock watching and thinking, oh now I've logged on at five to nine, so I need to take five minutes extra at lunchtime. That's just stupid. You just don't go there. But equally you have to have some kind of boundaries because otherwise you're working eight till eight, six days a week and and burning yourself out. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of like self-imposed, at least for me, guilt and issues. Like you mentioned Pomodoro. I always, when I was trying to do that, I would feel like, oh my God, it's 30 minutes. I was supposed to take a break. I'm terrible. I didn't take a break. I'm really bad mm. at being productive, but I'm really enjoying what I'm doing, but I'm supposed to take a break. Um, <laughs> I mean, at least for me, it just turns into this loop of insanity where I'm just like, no matter what happens, I'm I'm at fault <laughs> for yes. not finishing or doing too much one way think, or the other. Do you think the lockdown periods and the and the worst bits of the pandemic helped with that though? Because I would say um, that that probably... I think we probably got permission to be kinder to ourselves during that time. I think, yeah, you know, the pandemic was difficult, but, um, and I, and I know it was more difficult for a lot of people than it was for me. I, I am an introvert. My wife and my daughter are all introverts. And if you tell us we have to stay in, in like, a, we had a 600 square foot apartment in New York at the time. Um, tell us we have to stay inside for a year. Fine. Just have an Instacart, bring the groceries. It's all good. Um, but yeah, I learned how to manage my time very differently. And that was sort of where I figured out how to work so that I can be up till three and not have meetings before 1030. And mm-hmm. still I'm productive. Like I don't work. I don't, you know, you said you stop right at eight o'clock. I don't have a stop. Um, but it, it shifts throughout the course of the day. And I managed to blend in like creative stuff or playing music or whatever um, so that I can extend the game longer. That's really interesting because the stop for me is a is not a hard stop. If I'm in the middle of something and it's eight o'clock, I won't I won't say, "Oh, I'll stop this tomorrow." But I'll finish the thing that I'm doing. But yeah. it makes me think of of how our attention and our energy changes about uh, to, according yeah. to external circumstances. So if I'm really tired, I'll stop earlier if I am having to be up early the next morning I'll stop earlier also I find that there's a mental drain on listening to too much news if I've gone through a period of time where I've been spending too much time on social media and checking in with Twitter and and reading too much (laughs) news and it's all bad news then I I find that drains my energy and I I will I will struggle to show up in the best possible way so it's all about it's not just you and your own personal schedule it's also what's the environment doing to you do you have to stay in can you go out is it raining is it cold is the the news bad today it all affects your mental well-being and that affects how you show up at work and how much energy you've got to spend on work and some days you might have less than others yeah it's all what we feed ourselves like to me stuff like i just i deleted instagram off my phone recently and it's like i cut mcdonald's out of my diet like it's (laughs) I mean, but all those things, like they're different sources of nutrients for your mind or your, you know, your body or your soul or whatever. And if you feed yourself junk food, like you're just sitting there doom scrolling. Yes. Yeah. That's not good for you. It's not good for me. Thank you for the reminder. (laughs) But a hard habit to break. So how do you, how do you prioritize your work? I mean, I'm assuming you're working on multiple things. Or you've learned stuff from talking to people about this. How do you prioritize the choices you make during the course of the day to choose what to do next? Well, there's a number of different ways of prioritizing things. 
often I will look at what has the closest deadline and what needs okay. to get done the soonest for whatever deadline might be. Because the top two or three projects, while we say it would be lovely to have all our projects numerically prioritized so that you could magically apportion the right amount of time to each one, doesn't really work like that in real life. But if you've got two or three that are the topper, the topper, that's not a word, is it? <laughs> the most top priorities, um, then I would be looking at who's got the closest deadline, who's got the person who's waiting for me to do the next thing. Do Am I a bottleneck for anybody? Can I move the work to the next part of the process where it's not me okay so that I'm not holding anybody else up those would be kind of my initial in the morning decision making criteria um and also while this is not something I would advocate there is an element of who is shouting the loudest if you've got a number of different stakeholders then um who do I need to spend the most time with right now which of my stakeholders need reassurance they need a report they need some kind of um engagement from me in order to for them to just go away and leave me alone basically so looking at your stakeholders and who expects what of you and being on top of that because one of the worst things is when you don't meet stakeholder expectations in terms of communication and then they're coming to you saying i've got a meeting with the exec tomorrow i need this report by 2 p.m or turning up at your desk asking for an update, you think, well, if, I, if you'd read my weekly report, oh, I forgot to send it, that kind of thing. So if you can predict when other people might be busy or might need you to be busy, then you can schedule around that. Okay. So for example, we always have, we have a, a once a month of decision-making meeting. And I know that the week before that, it will be a flurry of, can you confirm the lead time of this? Or what's the estimate for that? And have we got the paper for this? So I don't want my diary to be very busy at that point, because I know I'm going to have to respond to a lot of ad hoc requests in the lead up to the decision-making meeting so that we can actually make the decisions and then get on with the stuff the next day. So looking at my, so that's really around what, knowing what's coming up and firefighting before it happens. So good risk planning, good stakeholder engagement and being aware of your schedule and then choosing the things that make your life easier. Does that answer the question? It it does. (laughs) And it also, I heard something in there that I want to bring up that, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I have, I I had, I did this for a course that I'm taking. I came up with like 14 different strategies or more for like how I prioritize things on any given day, but everything you just said was all about you being a resource for other people. It was, it's almost like this defensive, like I have to protect, I have to make sure I have space for them. I have to make sure that I can do this for them. And I do the same thing. And I think try, I'm trying to teach myself to be there for myself too, which is hard when you're a project manager. It is, but I see the role of the project manager as being there for other people. We unblock the things you're that need to be unblocked. Okay. We, we're the servant leadership model is kind of baked into the job so I suppose it depends what your day-to-day role is and how much of the doing do you actually need to do rather than the project managing in the traditional sense and I suppose in different roles for me it's been different types of things but I suppose where I was going with what I was saying was trying to do the proactive tasks and being less reactive. To stay ahead of it yeah yeah that that to me is like the 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 bottom of the hierarchy triangle is a triangle still the Maslow thing, like oh, yeah, you yes. have you have to protect yourself there first. Mm. Don't get behind. 
yeah, then, I want to then try to stay time. ahead. Yeah, go mm. sorry, go ahead. I want to protect my time in the future. I want to do things that will help my future Elizabeth be Create better space. or yeah. have more space. So even things like organizing processes and redocumenting things will always be bottom of my to-do list because I don't find that stuff very interesting. Um, but it's got to be done if I want to put in place a checklist or a work practice or some standard operating procedures that will help me in the future, which I do need to do around financial reporting because every month I end up asking the same questions. <laughs> like, how do I find this information again? <laughs> so uh, there's, I'm, I'm still a work in, pro- in progress. Well, yeah, we all are. I mean, I guess, so the thing that I'm just kind of thinking about right now is that maybe the first level is don't create a, create a whatever technique where you're not going to be behind on things. Like you're not like, oh crap, I forgot to send out the thing. Mm. The second one is create the space. Like you said, I'm going to get a lot of requests. So I have to make sure I'm available for those requests. Yes. And to me, like maybe the next level would be create something that allows you to not just have the space, but thrive in the space. Like be there full of energy and helping to drive it forward instead of just catching all the balls that come your way. You know what I mean? And maybe you're already doing that. I I know that I I don't always do that. No, I don't always do that because I see that as not really work. Because if it's for me, Ah, it depends on the task. So one of the things when you said making space look like I want to work or something. I can't remember what you exactly said. Space where you can thrive. Space where I can thrive. If you looked around my workspace right now, you would see piles of cut up bits of paper where I've ripped the edges off because I've got a note on it. I've got three cardboard boxes of stuff on the floor, which means there's a really small space that I have to squeeze through to get to the door. My space does not does not say thriving to me, but I would never spend work time cleaning my office. Yeah, maybe I've misinterpreted what you were no, you're, at you're there. right. You're right there. So I, I hear everything you're saying. If it was a machine that you were using, the upkeep and the maintenance of that machine to help it function at the most optimal level would be something you would do. Yes. And we don't do that for ourselves. That's that's what I'm after. It's like, if I'm a machine that has to be there for other people and I produce work and I manage things and I do all kinds of stuff, what can I do to optimize the machine that I am running so that it can be available for others? Yes. And I think that's the work, the concept of work-life integration, isn't it? Oh, look at you. Perfect we, segue. <laughs> where we would say, I would say, cleaning my office or doing Pilates is not work. So it might boost me as a machine to be there for other people, but I'm not sure that I'd want to consider that to be part of my salaried employment because because it feels wrong. No, I, I <laughs> agree with you, probably have I guess I'm, I'm looking at it now like the things I do in my life, it's all my work. Some of it I get money for, ah. some of it has another purpose, but it is the work that I do with my life. Yes. Okay. And in that can in in that way of thinking of it, Pilates would absolutely be part of you helping the machine thrive. Yes. Yes. And I definitely advocate making space in your life to do things that help provide some resilience because exercise, eating well, all the going to the cinema, all the things that we do outside of work that we enjoy help fill the cup, don't they? And give, yeah. you, give you some sense of I'm living for a purpose. I'm you can living- bring more back. And you bring more back when you come refresh back to your desk. Yeah. 
This, I've, I've learned something. This is great. Thank Me you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked, we only, I guess only talked about the book a little bit. What is the, the main driver for you? Who are you trying to reach? With the book? Yeah. Um, I would like it to fall into the hands of people who are a little bit skilled at managing projects because it doesn't teach you how to manage a project. It teaches you how to be streamlined about the way you approach having to do several projects. So it talks about things like combining meetings, making sure you're doing integrated risk management, making sure that you're not exhausting your stakeholders because you're thinking of them as in individuals, as humans, rather than just various different roles on two or three of your projects, things like that. So I suppose if you've got a bit of a basic understanding of how to get a piece of work done from A to B, and you've got several of those pieces of work to get done, that's who I would like to be helping. So the overworked event planner, the busy PA, the yeah. project manager who's not managing the company's most important strategic project with a team of 20 and they're all doing it full time, but the, the more junior project manager who's got five things to get done this year, that kind of role. Uh, it's the book I wished that someone had shared with me when I came back from maternity leave and suddenly I had a big pile of projects to do that were smaller ones because they could be done on a part-time basis. Yeah. I think that that's the best stuff. When you write something for or create something for a younger version of yourself, I think it has a tendency to resonate with a lot of people. Uh, well, I would like it, the book not to have the word project manager on the cover, to be honest, but the publisher had the final say on that. <laughs> <laughs> so what should it say instead? People, how, okay. how people can balance priorities or how team leaders or something like that. Something more, how of Something that's not something. as limiting because I, I, most people probably think of project management as something you do at work as opposed to it's your life. It's how you manage your life. I think sometimes people interpret the term project manager to be someone who has a PMP. So if you're an IT developer, you might not think that it's for you, but yeah. you still have a schedule of work. You still have a... Um, potentially a scrum master or a product owner some or team leader that you're responsible to and you've probably got five or six of those bits of work and you've got to keep them all moving and who's ever taught you how to manage your to-do list in that way nobody so (laughs) cool well i want to um i want to give a minute for you to talk about your group that you're going to relaunch um before before we adjourn so can you talk a little bit about the group and what the purpose of it is and, and what's happened with the relaunch Sure. We are Project Management Rebels, and it is for people who manage projects, but not in a textbook world. So if you have ever read a project management book and it's and you've gone, oh, how do I make it actually work? Then that's the kind of person that we're, we, t- we tend to uh, <laughs> collect. Okay. Yes. And the group is a kind of social learning I really should have a better way of interpreting it but we have a huge library of training materials and resources and templates and things that people can dip into as and when they need those resources to support them at work and then we get together once a month for a action and support call where people just bring their stories people share their experiences they ask questions they answer other people's questions and they just you know hang out really so it's career-based and I think one of the things I'm trying to do is bring project managers together who don't have that network within their own organization because often smaller companies or maybe big companies but project managers who are not necessarily attached to the main enterprise PMO 
find it hard to connect with like-minded people who are doing yeah. a similar role. And project management can be quite lonely if you're in that kind of role. So the goal of this really is to create that that community with learning resources and access to expert interviews and videos and um, conversations with me. We also do one-to-one mentoring every quarter and stuff like that. So it's okay. So it's a support, support system for for people who are doing project management, but maybe don't self-identify as like a professional project manager? I would say everybody in the group identifies as a professional project manager. Okay. Okay. At various different stages in their career. Yeah. And so they're going to be there um, to support and help one another grow and also Mm -hmm. a great way to network, I would imagine, as well. Yes. We have people from all over the world. Awesome. And it would be lovely to um, be able to extend that and welcome a few more people into the group. Okay, so what if they want to find out more about this? Where where should they go? You can go to projectmanagementrebels.com. Okay, and what about you? If they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Probably for social networks, probably LinkedIn. You can okay. find me on there. But if you go to elizabeth-harring.com, all my books and public public speaking and stuff is there. Okay. And a more project management focused place to, to find me is rebelsguide2pm.com, which is my blog. All right. And I'm going to also include a link to your Amazon pages with okay. all of your books. <laughs> Thank you. This was great. It was really good catching up and I appreciate you making time for this. Thank you. No, it's lovely. It's nice to catch up. And, um, you know, project management's moved quite a lot since we, we started say, out. Say hi to boss. Maybe we can get him to listen to it and maybe he'll check in. <laughs> hi, boss. Hi. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Thanks.